listen to that. Strange man here in Charles, for heaven's sake. I've been uh, sitting around here trying to figure out just what we're going to be called uh, in the in the future histories and future sociological studies. You know, they always they always call the uh, the Norwegians a seagoing people. You know, uh, you remember when they used to you you read in the uh, history books when you were a kid they they write about the Phoenicians. Did they study the Phoenicians down there in the Caribbean? Did you study the Phoenicians? Did you study the Vikings? Oh, you studied those, but you didn't get into the Phoenicians, so that was an interesting crowd. And they always referred to the Phoenicians as the great uh, seagoing trading people, and they talked about the, uh, the uh, let's say, the, uh, the Egyptians were referred to as desert people, right? Well, what are they going to call us? Well, I have an idea. Would you please give me a little romantic music? Because, you know, that's a romantic concept to call people a certain thing. The seagoing people. That's got a certain, uh, certain swing to it, hasn't it? The desert folk. It's got a certain sound. Well, I suspect that 2,000 years from now, when the scientists are digging among the shards and the midden heaps and the rubble left over from our civilization, we may very well be called the turnpike people. built these great, vast ribbons of concrete, and who traveled over them endlessly, 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 and, and accrued their fables and their stories, just like, you know, a seafaring people always has stories about the sea, you agree? The desert people have stories about the desert, and the mythical creatures that live in the desert, and you'll find that, that eventually, these myths and these fables will grow out of our time, the turnpike people. We'll have stories of the turnpike. Like, uh, like the flying Dutchman sailing endlessly over lonely seas, searching, searching, always searching for a safe harbor, a magical safe, the love of free oranges. And of course, ultimately, we will spin fables of the, uh, let's say, the, the, uh, the magic, the magic Plymouth station wagon that searched endlessly the turnpikes over for the ultimate Howard Johnson. And it would be seen late at night going through toll like a race, a mysterious vision and some would believe that it exists, others wouldn't. But those who would see it late at night, tooling along the Pennsylvania Turnpike, the Maine Turnpike, the Utah Turnpike, the San Diego Freeway would swear that it glowed with a luminous light. Yes, the station wagon of a dam, searching eternally for a space haven. People of 2,000 years from now will be fascinated by it. Just as though, you know, like we're fascinated by the Vikings and their great strange ships. And 
seen pictures of the Viking ships with that great dragon's head leaning up there, and the wings and the golden shields and the helmets with the, the magnificent wings. Quite as romantic as we hurtle over the countryside in our cars with great names like Mustang, Cougar, and the strange mystic chrome symbols on the side. Bits of lightning bolts evoking constantly images of great abstraction and mysticism. Strangely enough, most of the romantic vessels were named after animals. Impalas. Mm. The Impala. You know what the Impala is? Most people say a Chevy. No, no. We are romantic people. difficult for romantic people to understand that they are romantic to the average walking around Viking. They weren't romantic people. He was just doing his job. He was just going around Viking. You know? Pulling the oil. That's about all. Getting his chain mail clean once in a while. Going out and beating down the Celts or the, or the Celts or the, <laughs> or the Scots or the Visigoths or whatever it was. But he was not romantic to himself. The Phoenicians were romantic of Phoenicians. It was only to us. So thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Tony. That was very well done. I, I just... Uh, and it hit me. And, and, and all of us have. It hit me just like that. You know, we are the Turnpike people. And all of us have Turnpike stories. We do. Everybody has a Turnpike story. Hundreds of them. Just like all seafaring men who uh, sailed out of, we'll say, for example, New Bedford, back in the days when this country was a great seafaring nation, and the uh, whaling ships nosed out into the cold, dark sea to search for the mystery. They, 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 they had legends. Moby Dick is one of them. Sure. The Dutchman, the Flying Dutchman, this is another sea legend. I felt that eventually... You know, our, our subway system is rather new, you know, historically. When did the first subway start in New York? A hundred years ago? Fifty years ago? Seventy-five? That's more like it. That's nothing. That is a mere wink of an eyebrow in history. It's not even that. It's not even a tiny tick. Can you imagine how it's going to be when the subways have been in operation for, say, 800 years? And they don't even remember who actually dug them. Already now, I, I suspect that the memory is growing dim. <laughs> well, look at our tunnels. But the legends of the men who dug the Holland Tunnel, who dug the Lincoln Tunnel, those, those legends have already disappeared. And they, they were quite flash at one time. You know what? Uh, it, it, I was reminded of this here the other night. I was... I was in a in a motel, and uh, they had a TV set in there, and it was 1 o'clock in the morning, and they were showing this old black-and-white movie starring Victor McLaughlin. You remember Victor McLaughlin? 
And uh, he, he was always this big guy, you know. He's always going things like, me hit him. You tell me I hit. Remember, he was sort of like a an Anthony Quinn squared. <laughs> Quinn is like the vest pocket McLaughlin. And uh, Victor McLaughlin was starring in this in this movie, and he was the head of a gang of sandhawks. You know what sandhogs are? Well, these are guys that dig down into, into the ground and make tunnels. And uh, they were digging the Holland Tunnel. That was what the movie was about. Have you ever seen that movie? Yeah. They were digging the Holland Tunnel. And uh, there was tremendous heat down there. These guys were really in danger, fantastic danger. And the whole point of this thing was that, that, that one of the guys in the, in the crew was, was buried in a cave-in down there. They were working away, and it was a cave-in. And the whole plot revolved around Victor McLaughlin and these guys trying to save him. And they finally got him up. And uh, you know the guy was uh, was uh, badly injured, but they saved him. And in the end, they, they, the, the credits came on. It says, we want to give thanks to the brave men who gave their lives in building the Holland Tunnel. And and this was movie was made back in the early 30s. Everybody, apparently, you're smiling about this as if this is funny. But actually, that's not funny because they were they were... At that time, the legend of the Holland Tunnel was still fresh in people's mind. Obviously, in the early 30s, the Holland Tunnel was like a, you know, a great engineering feat that was still new enough for people that they would make a movie about it and everyone would recognize, yeah, you know. But today, if you were to talk about people building the Holland Tunnel, it's been there so long, you would think it was there like uh, the Grand Canyon, you know, it was always there. But no, can you, can you imagine how, if now most people couldn't tell you anything about the building of the Holland Tunnel or the, or the Lincoln Tunnel, or even for that matter, the George Washington Bridge or the Brooklyn Bridge, those things have been there so long that they're part of the ground, they're part of the actual world that we live in, like, like, the, like the rock and the mountain and the sea. And so after 200 years, People will have completely forgotten. You'd have to look back on the musty records. And by then, many of those records would have disappeared, as musty records do. And they'll not even know, really. They'll be just rumors as to who built the turnpikes. They were always there. You just can't imagine life without the Jersey Turnpike, can you? It was always there. <laughs> and for that matter, you can't imagine life without, say, even even if you go before that, let's say US-1. Well, I have a, 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 a geography book, which I picked up, a geography book that was published in America in 1839. And it's a geography book for kids in grade school. And that is something. And it's got all these colored maps, beautiful maps, and it has it has maps of uh, of uh, like the whole country, and it's and, and one of the maps in there, by the way, is railroad routes of the United States, and you see about five little lines. <laughs> I mean, that don't go beyond railway, and that was about it, and all the rest of it is just blank, blank, and the description of. Uh, of one territory, for example, the description of the of the uh, Oklahoma Territory was that it wasn't a state, of course, in those days, and it was the description of the territory. It says a list of American states and territories was one of the lessons, 
and uh, they discussed each territory, and they told about it, and they, they talked about uh, this territory, which was called the Oklahoma, just Oklahoma the state. It was a whole area out there was called the Oklahoma Territory. And, and they discussed it with this opening line. It said, the Oklahoma Territory is, is uh, identified chiefly by the vast innumerable herds of buffalo that graze on its on its grasses. And <laughs> this is super not true, you know, now. I don't have to tell you that. This is W.O.R. New York. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very serious when I say that eventually we will be called something like the Turnpike people. There's no people in the world. Because after all, we will be, we'll be remembered by the monuments we leave behind. Most the anthropologists call people the people that they, 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 they designate, they call them the, the designation, in other words, whatever name you give a person, is often by the things he builds. So, for example, they'll call, uh, they'll say it's the, uh, the Flint Arrowhead people, and they'll refer to them as that, or the, uh, the Wooden Bowl people of the Upper Amazon, because they make a wooden bowl. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, that's their outstanding characteristic. They sit around and make wooden bowls. Uh, or they sit around and make Clint arrowheads. Uh, yeah, of course, you, the Easter Islanders, the great stone face people who made those great stone faces out there in the Easter Islands. That, that must have been... Uh, and have you noticed they all look alike? I have a suspicion it was made by one guy. There wasn't any such thing as an Easter Island people. There was just one cuckoo bird artist who happened to land on that island. Because <laughs> he went around and made them stone faces. I'm using, of course, the termination. Uh, phraseology, termination meaning end phraseology of what we call the uh, the discount house people of Jersey. Those are the discount house people. And uh, yes, the, well, the, 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 often uh, you'll be called whatever you are by your religion, too. And I think the religion of many areas of, of uh, northern Jersey are discount houses. Uh, they can be called the Great Eastern people, for example or uh, the Corvette people, or the two guys from Harrison people. Well, you know, you go to the temple there every Saturday night and hang around and push your cart around and try to buy a bargain. And this uh, <laughs> this is a religious uh, kind of right that's a right. You even try to buy a bargain when you don't need one. Uh, you know, you never know. See, that's the whole thing. You never know when you might want uh, one of those water-driven lawnmowers. You never know. So it'll be bought. But I... I, uh, I, I I firmly feel, though, that we are the turnpike people. I think that's the greatest monument. Because, you know, if you ever fly over the country in, uh, in a plane uh, and get, out, get high enough up 35, 40,000 feet in a jet flying high over America, the one outstanding characteristic you see when you look down are those concrete ribbons. Everything else flattens out. The houses are almost invisible. Even large buildings become almost invisible. But you can see those lines crisscrossing the country. Just like uh, when you fly over Egypt, and I have done it in a plane. You fly over Egypt, that thing that hits you, you can't believe it. It's, there they are, those pyramids. <laughs> oh, man, they stand out. And uh, you fly over Holland, what do you see? Canals. You see them crisscrossing the country, those ribbons of water, not streets. Not, uh, not concrete uh, 
roads, but those canals stand out. They'll be the canal people. And we are the turnpike people. Not to say that other people don't have turnpikes, but we really have turnpikes. Now, you know, other people created pyramids. There were pyramids down in uh, Guatemala, you know, places like uh, Latin America. You know that there were pyramids down there. But you don't relate the pyramid to anybody but the great Egyptian dynasties. Why? Because they really laid the pyramids on. I mean, the Great Pyramid of Giza is 400 feet high. Do you know that? <laughs> That's a pile of rock. Fantastic. That's a pyramid that doesn't stop. Well, if you've ever seen some of the eight-lane turnpikes from the air with the cloverleaf and the cloverleaf under and over, it's an art form, fantastic art form from the air. I mean, that's a magnificent geometric and abstract design by that concrete. And, of course, just like all people who uh, have uh, a thing which uh, is endemic to their society, we have created legends, the turnpike legends. I say that by the year 2000, it will be an actual written form. Things that have happened, mysterious events in the night. Do you want to hear one of my turnpike stories? Okay. Mysterious turnpike story. <laughs> one day, well, they're not always mysterious. See, turnpike legends also tend to have, like all legends, there's funny ones. There's, there's mysterious ones. There are legends which, which, uh, which uh, just sometimes uh, uh, are inexplicable. Things happen. Like one night. I'll tell you one night. I'm driving along a turnpike one night. Going along the turnpike one night. It was about 10 o'clock at night, something like that. When all of a sudden I see in my rearview mirror, I see these two lights coming towards me. Now it's night. And uh, I won't, won't even tell you what turnpike it was because it's not important. It was a turnpike. Just like the sea is the sea. The name of the turnpike is immaterial. All turnpikes are part. And have you noticed that so many of the things that have created the human legends have to do with travel. The sea is a traveling thing. Uh, the, the, uh, uh, it's just part of the legend of man. Man is always struggling to go there. It's like space legends eventually will, will already be created. Uh, you know, legends of astronauts of the past. Uh, a thousand years from now, they'll talk about the first beginnings of the astronaut world. And that will be travel again. Always escape. Sir Francis Drake and the legends of uh, of the sailing, uh, the, the well, the the Santa Maria, the Pinta, the great legends of exploration. And so one night I'm driving along and I see these lights in the back. I look up and I see him coming at me. Well, I want to tell you, this guy went by me. He must have been going. I would say, and I'm I'm being conservative here. He must have been going about 135 miles an hour. But yes, I mean, he went screaming by, and he was driving a big Mercedes 300 SL convertible. This was uh, back in the gullwing days of the, of the 300s. And this car was just not the concurrent Mercedes. This car was just a little bit removed from the racing Mercedes, which were racing on the European tracks at that time. Well, this guy went by in that silver Mercedes like, uh, well, he went by literally like a bullet. He just went, 
and he went past me, I'm telling you, like he was shot out of a bow. Well, I, I, I couldn't believe it. This guy, he was flat out. And then I see coming right behind him, now there were maybe a, a mile separating them, were another pair of headlights, and past me went a state police cruiser going roughly the same speed with the lights going, and he just went, he went past me, and he was chasing this guy. Well, <laughs> it just so happened that I was not more than a mile or so, maybe two or three miles roughly, from a big toll gate exit there. Well, obviously, this guy is going to have to go somewhere. There, were no, there was no outlet anyplace, no outlet either. In other words, he couldn't uh, take off across the field, nor could the... Uh, the cruiser, and they were going to be stopped at that that turnpike thing. Well, I, I said, oh, man, this is going to be a fantastic scene. Well, I drove along. I'm, I'm just driving along at the maybe 75, something like that. I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not dawdling. No way. Maybe 75, 80. And it's pitch black. There were no other cars hardly on the road. But those two guys went by me, and I knew they had to get stopped up there. Well, I pulled up finally to the to the toll pike, to the exit there, the gate. And here they are, there are all these little chrome boxes all lined up and with a great big thing that says exact change lane and all that stuff. And I pulled up to, to one of the guys in the, in the thing, and I, I stuck my head out, and I gave him my my uh, IBM slip there with the money. And I says, man, I said, what a fantastic scene. I says, did they get that guy? And he says, what guy? What are you talking about? I said, well, that Mercedes who went by me back there with that squad car after him. He said, I didn't see nothing here. And with that, he sticks his head out and he hollers at the guy in the next booth. He says, hey, did you guys see a Mercedes and a squad car go by here or something? No. That's the last I ever heard of it. Now, where did they go? You can't go over the center line. It was a, a concrete divider that must have been five feet high there. <laughs> even, a, even a 300 SL Mercedes can't go over that. On the, on the left was a great big, like a ditch with, a, with, a, with one of these big wire things. You know, you, you see, you can't drive off the tent. There's no place to go. Where did he go? I don't know. I never found it out. Now, there's, there is the germ of a legend. Of a myth, a fable. Then there was the time. <laughs> you want to hear other ones? Because they do a lot of driving. Yeah. Uh, one, one night, driving along. Oh, this was funny. I mean, I have to admit, this was about 5 o'clock. It's over on Jersey Turnpike, right? So I'm, I, I'm, I'm going south on the Jersey Turnpike. I had a college date. I was going to play, I, I think it was Monmouth College or Trenton State, one of those schools down uh, the south part of uh, the Jersey Turnpike, and I got out about 5 o'clock, as you know, 5, 5.15, and it was a kind of a nice, soft, uh, early spring day, and I want to tell you, there were more cars. It was just a fantastic mess out there, so I, I threw the tunnel out on the turnpike. Well, now I'm down around exit 12, roughly, which is down around the old Carteret, that area there, see? And on all sides of me, there's cars and stuff, and then tremendous... And I, I'm, I'm driving along when all of a sudden I see something's happened up ahead. And, the, and there's a tremendous traffic tie-up. Everybody stopped. All the cars were stopped. Every lane was stopped. As it later turned out, what it was was some 
big truck jackknifed way up there about three miles ahead, and that was the end of the traffic for a while. See, and they're all, they're, every lane, that's the point of the story, every lane was stopped. And I, I'm driving up, and I pull up to the end. Now, I happen to be on the inside lane. The inside lane is right next to this great big steel uh, guard protector, see, and I'm, I'm on the inside, uh, so I pull up and I stop. There I am with the protector guard on my left, right outside the window, and ahead of me is this car, and we're bumper to bumper practically. I've got about two feet between me and him. I'm just sitting there, and, and, and as far as you can see, the cars are lined up. Well, I'm sitting back there in the car, yeah, I figured, what the hell, there's nothing you can do, you're here, so why not? So I turn on the radio, and I'm sitting there. And it all started to happen. I look up in my rearview mirror, and I see a guy coming down the inside lane, coming at me in a VW. And he is fat, dumb, and happy. You know that expression? He is talking to somebody with him, and I can see him in the rearview mirror. The visibility was like crystals. So it, was a, it was about 5 o'clock, beautiful day. And here's this guy, blah, 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 blah. He's talking away. He ain't going to stop. He is coming at me hell-bent for election. And I see him coming quite... No place for me to go. What am I going to do? You know? <laughs> I go forward. I got about two feet ahead of me, see? So the person who was with me, I says, okay, quick. I says, get down. Put your head down. This guy's going to clobber us. He's going to get us. He ain't even slowing up, see? So I see this guy. And he's fat, dumb, and heavy. He's talking away. It's coming. It's like it's like fake, you know? He's coming closer and closer, you know? It's, it's, getting, it's, getting, you know, it's getting serious now at this point. Not yet. It's getting serious. See? So I, 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 I said, well, what, what, kind of, what am I going to do? Now he's about 100 feet behind me, and he is coming. He's going maybe 35, 40. He's not going that fast, thank heavens. He was going about 40 miles an hour. When at the last minute, see, I see this guy look out. His eyeballs look like ping pong balls. Hey, you know, he goes like a, He ain't going to stop. Just at that instant, the lane on my right pulled forward. Shepard goes, whoop, whoop. He's in the next lane, <laughs> and this guy goes right up by me, and oh, he promised the guy that was ahead of me. <laughs> oh, wow. And I just see this poor guy. No, no, there you I see this poor guy that has been ahead of me. He's sitting up there. He always knows this is a car parked right behind him. The next thing you know, kaboom. And my lane, my lane, for some reason, just continued to move. And I drove away, and I never found out what happened. What a close one. How do you like that little story? I mean, these, the, every, every guy, every guy, you scratch anybody who has uh, who's driven hundreds of thousands of miles. I, have you ever thought to yourself how many miles you have driven the actual total since you first started to drive as a kid. You know, I wish we kept log uh, like like uh, pilots do. You know, a pilot can tell you right down to the tenth of an hour how many hours he has flown. Did you know that? You keep an absolutely, by law, accurate log of all your flying and, and what kind of planes you flew it in, what the trip was, how, how, many, uh, uh, how many hours you spent under the hood, uh, whether it was VFR flying, wouldn't you love to have a log of all your of all your driving, and and with the kind of car that you drove, what hour, what time you started the trip, how many hours you spent uh, driving solo versus uh, dual, 
when somebody was was driving the car and you were on the other side of the seat. And uh, and so, uh, can you imagine when you keep uh, little logs to talk about mishaps, various things that you had? You could sit back then. You could read your whole life. You could you could literally practically read your whole life in the log you're driving. Because it would all come back. In fact, when I take out my flying log, my pilot's log, I can look almost at any page at random, and I'll go back and I'll see a notation of a flight from X to Y that I made, and the number of hours, the type of aircraft, the type of engine that's in the airplane is logged too. You keep that, and uh, and I can I can then I see the trip again. I met oh yeah, I'll never forget that then yeah, yes. Uh, and, and, and you read, it says, land at, at Morristown Airport. Yeah, I remember that day. And it all comes back to you. The log. And, uh, and uh, oh, it, you want to hear another turnpike story? You like turnpike stories? Oh, man, I got a million of them. I'll tell you another little quickie here. One of the funniest things I've ever seen on the uh, in the turnpike legends. Shepard's already compiling his legends, you know, like the legends of the sea. One day, I'm driving along. A very remote turnpike. As a matter of fact, this this is the, the very far northern reaches of the main turnpike, and this was in the off season. So there weren't many cars on this turnpike, and it was kind of a a bitter cold day, and the wind was blowing through the trees, and it was middle of the afternoon, and, and I'm driving north on the turnpike. The sky was leaden and gray. <laughs> We're going along there. And, and uh, I see up ahead of me, there was nobody behind me, but I can see way up ahead of me, there was a guy driving along in a camper. Now, this was one of those big self-contained campers, you know, with the, the motor and everything all part of it. It's one of these things that, that looked like a truncated Greyhound bus. I mean, there was a lot of camper going up there, you know. <laughs> I could just see this, uh, you know, the outlay of cabbage for this thing. And he's, he's driving along there, and he's just booming along. And uh, he's driving maybe five or six miles uh, slower than I am, because we caught up, I caught up with him very slowly, and slowly catching up with this guy. Nobody around us, just me and this guy. And it looks kind of funny from where I am. I, there, somehow there was something strange about this camper. I couldn't first see what it was. There's something just not quite right. And as I caught up, I saw what was bugging me. The back door of his camper had opened. Now, obviously, he had no idea that this had happened. The door was open, and sticking out about a quarter of the way out of the door was a, was a sofa. This guy's driving along, and the sofa's got these little casters on it, and the sofa has just backed right out of the back of the, of the, of the, of the you know, there it is. It's hanging out, see? Because, oh, my God, the guy's going to lose his sofa. You know, there it's hanging out like that. And he's driving along, sad, dumb, and happy. So if that shepherd, the good Samaritan, see, he pulls up alongside him. We're booming along maybe 65, 70 miles an hour. And I go, like that with the horn, see? And he looks out. He's way up above me, see? He's, he's got this great big camper, and I'm driving this little fast sports car, see? So he looks down at me, and there's a certain kind of guy that thinks everybody who drives a little sports car is some kind of kook, some kind of nut. <laughs> they all do it. Look at that guy with that little foreign kind of nut. You know, they always think you're either subversive, or you're, uh, you're running pot somewhere. Uh, you're doing all kinds of stuff, see. Had I been driving a, a, a Chevy, he probably would have listened to me. You know, old grandma comes along in her Impala, see. So I go, uh, uh, 
He looks down, and I, I wave, you know. I'm trying to hang out the side window there. I go, hey, you know, hey, I'm yelling over to... And this car was real noisy. His, his, his great big, uh, huge engine in this thing is roaring like hell. He can't hear me, obviously. So I'm saying, hey, your back door is open. You're losing your sofa. And he looks down, and I could see a look of fear come over his face, but it's not the right look. Obviously, he thinks I'm trying to rob him or some crazy thing, you know. I'm up to no good. So with that, he runs his window up, and he's talking to his wife. He's looking real mad, and he starts to step on it. What the hell? So I drift behind him again, and I say, I, I ain't going to stay behind this guy. The sofa is now about half out. It's coming even further out. So, so what, the, what am I going to do? So I pull up next to him again. I say, hey, you sofa, you sofa. And I could see him saying to his wife, yeah, almost in pantomime, look at that nut. That nut's doing it again. Let's get out of here, Mabel. You know, he floors it. Well, we go like that for about 15 miles, and I keep trying to trying to tell him the sofa's hanging. That's the funniest thing to hell with him. I mean, if he wants to lose the sofa, let him do it. And I pull into it. I pull into the Howard Johnson thing. I'm going to have a cup of coffee, get a little gassy, so I pull in. And I go into the counter there, and I order the coffee, and I get the car gassed up, and now I go zoop out on a third bike again. I drive about 10 miles when I see up ahead of me with the blue lights, you know, going, choo, 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 choo. oh, my God, somebody got it up there, see. But I don't see any cars. I just see these two squad cars with the blue lights that stopped. And then when I got up there, I saw, right out there in the middle of the road, is this convertible sofa in about 17 pieces. And these cops are walking around trying to figure out how the hell a sofa got in the middle of and then, you know, I pull up, see, and they, they, they wave me on. I get off, buddy, see. And as I drive further on, I, I, I can see the scene when they get to where they're going. I can see him pulling into this, this, this campground. And he hops out of his $12 million magnificent camper, you know, and he runs around the back. And can you see the moment when they discover that they've lost their, their convertible sofa? <laughs> What are we going to sleep on tonight? Can you imagine him explaining it to Mabel? Oh, I thought the guy was some kind of a nut. She says, yeah, see, there you go again. You just don't trust anybody, Clarence, and now look at your paying for it. He was trying to tell you. Oh, shut up, will you? I'll let you drive the next time. You want to drive? All right, drive. We'll sleep on the floor. The hell with it. Great moments on the turn. But it ain't every day that the guy loses the convertible sofa. And whoever you are out there in the darkness, you may be listening. That guy that looked at me as though I was some kind of a cuckoo bird. In some ways, I'm glad you lost that sofa. I mean, it was just a nasty look on your rotten face, right? <laughs> oh, this is W.O.I. New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.